This is the Empowered Athlete Podcast, Episode 18. Today on the show, we welcome a rising star of the track and field world, specifically the 110-meter men's hurdles. Our guest is Liam Mather, a young gentleman from London, Ontario, who Kari has had the chance to work with in the gym, and this guy has wheels on the track. The University of Iowa, he's now a Hawkeye, finishing his first season there with that squad, and he's dealt with a lot in the few years that he's been competing at a very high level. Injury, pressure, stress, choosing schools, it's all in this episode. Join us for a great talk with Liam Mather. We believe in natural products for ourselves and our family. That's right, I'm an essential oil addict. Paul, on the other hand, is a closet oil user. All joking aside, essential oils have allowed a higher level of health in our home. From bug repellent and cleaning to wound care, and with five kids in four different schools, flu prevention. doTERRA essential oils are the only oils we use due to the highest quality and worldwide ethical sourcing. I have pretty high standards, as most of you know. My oils need to be consistent and work. For information on DIY recipes, go to mydoterra.com slash Kari Schneider. That's mydoterra.com slash Kari Schneider. And if you want me to come teach a wellness class for you, reach out to me at ks at empowerconditioning.com. That's ks at empowerconditioning.com. Welcome to the Empowered Athlete Podcast, created to support athletes in their pursuit of excellence and inspire others toward their best lives. Hosted by Kari Schneider, coach to top performers in sport and life, and Paul Durden, former national and professional volleyball player. Well, here we go for another Empowered Athlete podcast. And joining us today, having just flown back into town, back into London, is Liam Mather. Liam, welcome to the show. We're so excited to have you and learn about your sport, your running, your track and field career, what's going on with you now, what's happened in the past. And obviously, you've trained with Kari. You know her well. And yeah, we're just excited to have you here. Thank you so much for joining us on a travel day. No, thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to get down to business with you guys. Right on. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're really excited about this. Um, so this is a unique situation because you are coming back from your very first semester away at a, uh, an NCAA Division I school at yep. uh, University of Iowa, but you have had um, a lot of experience in track and field. So let's back up a little bit and tell us a little more about you know, what got you into track in the first place and, you know, what drew you, what, what was kind of the, the first thing for you there? I think like, if I like look back in my like history of track, I think the thing that pops out the most to me was definitely watching like the 2008 Beijing Olympics. I was just like a young kid sitting on my couch watching like these big men run the hurdles and like sprinting and um, ever since then, that's like what stuck with me the most is seeing how successful they were and just like wanting to be like them. And that's what sparked track. And I dibble dabbled in like other sports. I did soccer for a bit. And then I kind of just got pulled to track because one of my friends in soccer happened to join track as well. And then ever since then, 
it's just been track. Like, that's all it's been, nothing else. The focus has just been the thought of kind of repeating what happened back in Beijing with all those hurdlers and trying to do it in future Olympics. So that's kind of where it all sparked. Oh, that's amazing. So there's a couple of things that come up for me um, when I'm hearing this. Is, and one is that, for how, how old were you in, in 2008? I was eight years old. You were eight. You're, yeah, you're 2000. Okay. Um, what was it about watching them? Like, what was, can you recall the feelings you had? Can you recall, um, like, were you just mesmerized? What was it about watching the track and field on the Olympics that really drew you? Just, like, how intense the athletes were. Like, they were, when they were running, you could see it on their face. Like, they were in a different world. Like, they were in their own zone, their own like nothing else is affecting them. And I thought like how committed they were to like just running in the moment. Like that was so interesting to me and kind of like detaching from the world and having like your own little thing and being able to do it on the world stage. Like that is like what stuck out the most for me, I think. Isn't that, isn't that interesting because, you know, you have this, you're drawn to it in one sense, but then at the same time, the likelihood of somebody enjoying watching it then being able to actually do it is a whole is a whole nother matter but then the cool thing is like we see to to really um go towards it so quickly like being in soccer that's one thing you might have been a good runner on the Mm -hmm. field or whatever but then going towards it so quickly is pretty impressive as well a lot of people dabble or have injuries or have different things that they've tried and not Mm -hmm. liked or they like a, they try a lot of sports before they're they're geared toward that one that really really yeah. speaks to them. Like I just jumped like head first into it. Like I the minute that that happened, and I knew I wanted to go into track and I wanted to find all the clubs that were offered in London. And then I just joined the first one that I saw, and just like got to every practice and just like started running and just like never gave up and always had that like end goal in sight even from a young age, which is kind of weird for me to think back like I was just a kid and I had these goals for myself and that like of the maybe the Olympics yeah and it was just like now looking back at it now being 18 now nearly 19 like I'm almost a full adult and looking back and like seeing how committed I was just as like an eight-year-old or a 10-year-old like it's it's so crazy for me to just think about that now were your were your parents an influence on that were they into sports did they compete in anything yeah, my dad um, was a pretty good soccer player back in the day. Um, he ended up ending his career with a compound fracture in his arm, which no one ever wants to finish off their career that way. And my mom played field hockey in high school, and um, their athleticism kind of, I think, is what I inherited the most. I think I get most of my, my uh, physical activity from my parents, definitely. But, um, yeah, like they influenced me a lot with joining track. They wanted to make sure I was – not only just like being active as a kid and not being a couch potato, but also trying to find something that I really like wanted to do with my life. And the minute that they saw that I clinched onto track, I think they definitely let me run with it and just supported me as much as possible. So what, when you went into track, were you, were you just sprinting? Did you try long jump or high jump or like what, what um, disciplines in track were you trying out? I was actually originally a high jumper because it was, grade four where i know grade five when my um elementary school high jump coach um that's like i think the thing that pushed me the most like i was thinking about joining track and then my grade five um high jump coach kind of said 
here you should definitely join a club because like you're excelling in elementary school track like why not take it that step further and I think that's the moment that I joined the club and um yeah so I started with high jump and I was doing pretty good there I was I think TVDSB like grade seven and eight like district champion in high jump and I thought I was going to be a high jumper my entire life and then I know right (laughs) funny I me being a high jumper is just a funny thought (laughs) um but then I was at practice and one of the coaches at London Legion decided to put me on the hurdles one day and then it just never really changed like I just kept doing them every practice because I think also it was convenient just because the the hurdlers with all the kids were kind of like a smaller group and it was just convenient to have me in that group at that time and then I guess I just started to excel the hurdles a little bit so I guess I stayed with them because of that. Nice nice and and what where did you really fall in love with hurdles like if if people I think most people will know listening most of the audience would know what hurdling is but what made you fall into it and then maybe explain the different heights of the hurdle as uh, that changes and the distances that you run as you uh yeah I think what like made me fall in love with the hurdles over like other track events was how difficult it was compared to other events like you could sprint and you could jump into a pit of sand and you can do all these things but like you have to have like a certain skill set to be able to like jump into a hurdle with your lead leg and wrap another leg around the side and keep sprinting between (laughs) and like not losing speed and then I was also training at the time as a kid and like almost in high school but still in elementary school and I was seeing um like the older kids at the club jumping like the 39 inch hurdles which is like what a u20 athlete would jump so if like you're 18 19 years old and then i saw some kids jumping the senior height hurdles which are 42 like that's olympic height and i remember distinctly back in like god no i think 2012 and i was talking to one of my friends in the club and i was like when the hurdles get that high i'm quitting (laughs) and i remember that being a joke (laughs) And now I look back and it's like, wow, so that's how far I've come. Well, you, you're, you're right, though. It's so you had to, gr- you had to grow a little a bit. bit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And now I'm, now I'm jumping those hurdles that I said I never would. So that's how far it's come so far. But yeah, I think just the challenge of hurdling over other events is like what made me gravitate towards the hurdles over other events. The, uh, the hurdles, I always looked at that we had a chance to do things like that in gym class and experiment some other sports is an intimidating event. And definitely, like, like you said, you know, sprinting, jumping to a pit of sand, feel totally safe. No worries there. But the hurdles, <laughs> if you mess up, yeah, you're going to, you dangerous. know, you're going to fall on your face or tear something. They're just intimidating. And I can't imagine, well, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine exactly how you felt looking at the, you know, the senior level and just, yeah, then no, yeah. no, thank you. I was a pretty daredevilish kid. I, won't, I like. I won't lie. I was always down to do the things that might be more dangerous than the others. And I think like the adrenaline factor that came with it, even at a young age, was something that helped me um, overcome the fear of jumping a hurdle while sprinting. It's like obviously it was hard for a while, and I had my problems getting into it originally. But I think my resilience with it as well is what helped me get over like the whole scary factor of it. Like, oh, I'm gonna hurt myself. But then that kind of and that built that uh, confidence builder of improving. Once you had that, do you think that that element of it being a little tougher, needing skill, 
and you being good at it, that combination, do you think that helped to um, fuel maybe that little fire of going, okay, this, I'm, I'm special, I'm unique, this draws attention, I like that, like I want to fuel that more, is, is, was part of that Yeah, I too? think like once I started getting the whole technique thing down at a young age and um, doing a couple small races here and there and seeing, okay, like I'm not, like I'm not terrible, like I can actually get this down, like just put like a little bit more work in, it's like over time, the, my race times would start getting lower and lower and I was like, okay, like I'm, I'm getting the hang of this and I just kept improving over time and I think seeing myself go from one year running um, X time to an even, fa- even faster time, like the season after that, I think that's like what kind of solidified the thought of like to keep going with it. It's like, okay, like I'm getting this down and I'm adapting to it pretty quick. So that's also what like um, kind of made me fall in love with it. It was like something that I was really good at and um, I kind of gravitated towards that because I wasn't like really good at other things and everyone like had their own special talents like that would be pretty similar with each other and then I was finally found something that was like for me and like nothing else that anyone else could do and I think because I was doing something so different that was so mesmerizing by so many people like that pushed me to like want to become faster with it too yeah it feels good yeah. yeah and what I mean you've been an eight-time provincial champion in 110-meter and 60-meter hurdles and three-time national gold medalist. Yes. <laughs> Those are some pretty big – that's a big deal. Like, that's, that's a big deal. When was the first real – when was that first major win that really meant a lot to you, like, that just really stands out that was different from the I rest? I think it was – so it was back, I forget the year, I like 2015 or 2016, and it was my, um, I had made my very first provincial team. Uh, it was in Quebec, we were racing, and I was favored to win three events, and it was a complete disaster. I ended up coming off with not a single medal. Um, I had hurt myself, many different factors, and that kind of set me back a lot, and I came back the year later, and this was the second Nationals, that was in Quebec and I decided to not go with team Ontario uh, and go unattached with Legion. And then I think it was that year in 2016 where I had a complete comeback season after being the favorite to win all these events and um, come back and win the national youth title in 2016 in Blainesville, Quebec. Um, That's kind of like the setting point where I finally realized that like, Yes, I can make these goals for myself to go to the Olympics or World Championships, but the moment that I won that that national championship was like the moment that I finally like saw the vision and like how possible that it really was. Would you and would you say that it was and, and, seeing the vision or that you were validating your your dream of what you really wanted? Because you know you start off by saying when you're eight, looking yeah. at you know the Beijing Olympics that that's what you wanted. So to kind of was it more validation and yes, I'm for real? Was it a, 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 I mean, obviously it's a big confidence boost, but was it bigger than that for you in that, yes, I can do it at this level? Yeah, I, I think definitely like that was the turning point. Like I always wanted to do it and I, I always have, everyone has doubts about their goals, obviously, but that moment, like winning that national title was like the moment, like it validated the complete thought that 
I could actually do this. And this is a, like a big possibility. And that's, that was the turning point where I decided to devote everything to track. Like I gave up all the normal like things like going into my first year of high school, I gave up all the normal things that a normal high school student would do, like hanging out with friends all the time, partying, like doing all like the normal, like teenage things. And like, because I had that validation came I just like shut everything else off that wasn't track and it was like devotion right then and there just like track 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 that's yeah that sounds very much like Paul's description of his high school when it came to volleyball yeah. that's for sure it's like similar between so many athletes um, I talk to so many of my friends that are high up in sports such as volleyball and other sports of uh, athletes that I met at Iowa as well and like they've all had the same turning point where they found out that they could do it. They could really accomplish the big goals and they devote everything to it. Like there was nothing else that could get in their way. And that's that switch. It's, it's like, we've, we've connected with so many other athletes as well. And they describe that they can, they can think of the moment yeah. that it happened. They can think of how it changed every decision that they made after that. And they just kept aligning their actions on a day-to-day -day mm -hmm. basis with that decision. No, does this align with what I want? No, so I won't do it. Does this align with what I want? It's just that simple guidance that wasn't there prior to really tasting the potential of what Yeah, definitely. I agree with that completely. Do you, um, if, if, would you say that you want to do your best or be the best? That's a tough question because, wow, that's a curveball question. <laughs> I think for me, it's very hard for me to accept that maybe I did do my the best. That's where I beat myself up a mm. lot oftentimes. But I think mm -hmm. I just have a desire to be the best. Like I want, like, I kind of want my name to be like, something that when people hear my name it's like oh they think of the hurdler you know and that's something that resonates with me a lot but I've learned a lot recently to like be okay with like my best like that's the best I could have done in that moment and I gave it my all and I've become okay recently with maybe just sitting back and I'm not the best right now but if I'm okay with me being my best right now who knows maybe in a couple years I will be the best it's like realizing and sitting mm -hmm. back and like seeing a bigger picture rather than like sitting a flashlight so low over like a bigger picture. Yeah. 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 It's, it's interesting because the majority of high performance athletes are achievers in nature and that fatal flaw of achievers is definitely being very very hard yeah. on themselves when they're not getting things the way that yeah. they want it yeah what yeah i, I want to dig into it just a little i was just i really wanted to hear your answer i love the question kari and i love the answer liam and i just want to ask one further though that from what i've seen heard by interviews through documentaries and things that especially in track and especially in sprinting the athletes are almost required to have ego, to believe that they are the best if they have any hope of winning, to be lining yeah. up on a track against the best mm. in the world in an event that's done in just over 10 seconds. If you don't believe with every ounce of your body that you're the best, everyone else has an edge on you. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, I feel I like it's par for the course that you've got to have that. You've got to have some ego. You've got to have that full out belief that, you know, you're unstoppable, you're untouchable to compete at that level and get that extra hundredth that you need to, to have the edge. And so I was really interested in your answer. And I think, you know, from an advisory standpoint, I'd say, I mean, based on your age and knowing just about training and what your body is going to go through for the next five or six years as you reach a, a physical peak, which is definitely not at the age you're at now, uh, yeah. that you can almost get away with having both. And as you get further into it, it's going to have to shift to being the best as opposed to doing your best. But I feel yeah. like I want to say that, that the attitude of doing your best is always healthier. You know, it's way oh, yeah. Healthier, healthier. Yeah. But for success and what you're going after, it may not be the best thing. It's that double-edged yeah. sword. You definitely like, you can't, you can't go up to the blocks with the mindset of, Oh, this person's going to beat me. This person's going to beat me. I'm not the best. And, because then right from the block, right from the minute the gun goes off, you're going to be set back and you're going to let them pass you because you're going to be stuck in like what they're doing, not what you're doing. Right. And I think when you're coming into like a race like that, you have to have like the, the right positive mentality. It doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, I'm better than everyone else here and screw him and screw that. It's like going in and like believing in yourself. Like I've put this work in on the track day in, day out. Like I have as much right to have this title as the person on my left and the person on my right. And I think going in with like, you have to go in with that positive mindset. Cause if you don't like, it's just, it's not going to be your race. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've often, I said this over the years because a lot, oftentimes people who aren't in high performance sport, they think that athletes are very physically mm-hmm. healthy and, and I've always described it to them like, okay, if there's a spectrum of health and say at one end is disease and health is in the middle and the other end is high performance mm-hmm. sport, high performance sport physically is still not necessarily around the healthy zone. It's, it still puts people at oh, yeah. greater risk, more, more likely to fail. But, but in having this conversation right now, I'm thinking of it in the exact same way, the exact same spectrum in a version of mindset. So if your healthy mindset for your happiest or your, your most connected or your most fulfilled might be somewhere in the middle of the pers- in the spectrum. And then maybe at one end is some other forms that are really debilitating. Sometimes that high performance sport might be at the other end of the spectrum where it's like, you have to have these mentalities that are so far removed from what might allow you to connect with Mm -hmm. other people or what might allow you to live a really um, like uh, loving yourself kind of, or being gracious for yourself kind of life because the mindset of a high performance athlete is so bloody demanding and the standards are so high and, so you, you kind of get stuck in this, you know, the mindset part of it too in high performance sport is very, very uh, demanding yeah, as well. Like with especially hurdling, it's, you have so many different things to think about within one practice and like within even like one second of like your practice, like you have to think about all the little things you have to do technically over the hurdle and you have to think about, oh, does that look good? Does coach think that looks good? And, Oh, like, would, will that 
improvement helped me get to this title and this title. And it's like all these different things running through your mind at once. It's, it can be very unhealthy for your mentality for sure. And coming back to like the thought of um, physical, like athletes are physically healthy, like on that scale. It's like when you're, when you're battling Mm -hmm. all these different thoughts, like you can, you can get sunk into like deep, like dark places and, and then that causes stress and the causes of stress on the body can have physical um, implications like losing sleep and when you lose sleep you become like physically unhealthy actually because you're not getting the proper like nutrients mm-hmm. and it's everything it's all yeah, yeah completely and yeah. it's like with track it's there's such a like a culture of like overthinking everything because nothing goes right all the time like you can't expect the perfect from yourself 24 7 but track athletes oftentimes do and when they do that they put themselves into these ruts that can be so mentally like debilitating to them. And they have such a hard time getting out of it. And that's where I think people definitely do not see that side of track. They see that we have these nice bodies and big muscles and all this kind of stuff, but they don't like, they don't see what's going on in our head. And like, that's the biggest part for us. Mm Mm-hmm. What tell us more? Tell us more about that from a personal standpoint. What's been happening for you? I think mostly for me coming off of like four years of like undefeated competition within Ontario and winning all these titles and always knowing how to like knowing I'm the best and then going to a school in the States running D one and going in knowing that I'm not gonna be the best and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be the first to the rep in practice and I'm and I'm going to be slower than some people because there are people older than me and more, more skilled. I think going off of a, off of a complete career in Ontario where I know how to run rather than race, I think it has been a really big part in like my mental struggles because I start seeing that like, dang, like I'm running like crap because I'm not beating this person and this person. And then I sink myself deep into these ruts and these de- like depressions thinking, Oh, like I'm not worth it. Like I can't run fast. Like that practice and this practice has gone so poorly because I didn't beat this person, this person. And I have never lost to anyone. Like, f- like all those feelings can get you so deep down and they've gotten me down at college. I won't lie because it's the realization of going from being the best to not the best. And, trying to juggle the thoughts and try to adapt to the, to it being okay, not being the best. Mm. And it might not have even been something that you realized was going to be such a, like you knew you wouldn't be the fastest there, obviously being a, a rookie coming in, but at the same time, how can you prepare for, the number that does on your emotions and the number that does on how you're thinking about your sport and yourself. Yeah, like for a while, um, there was a couple, like a month period um, at, during my first semester, uh, like last month or the month month before where I got, I got myself really low. I was in a really low spot. Like um, I would just be so <clears throat> um, frustrated in practice and I'd beat myself up and I'd go home and I'd cry every night. I was, I was so, I thought it was just, I was so over it. Like why I made the biggest mistake of my life. I came to this, I threw everything on the line and I made the biggest mistake of my life. And then after I decided to take the move and see the sports psychologist and see if I can 
figure out like what I'm feeling and like to get out of this mindset because I I noticed that a mindset like this is not healthy for your phys- like physical health but also your mental health and I think for me is just like you have to be okay you have to learn how to lose before you can win because until you learn how to lose you will always beat yourself up to the point where you will dig yourself into the deepest hole that at one point you won't be able to bring yourself out of it yeah I, so everyone's got to write it's, that down honestly you've, you've got to is, you have to learn how to lose before you can win it's it's, it's true in every sport that you have to get the tools to deal with that because it's the essence of sport that things are outside of your control and the day will come no matter how good you are, that everything will go effing wrong, no -hmm. matter what you do. I mean, I've had matches where I could not score and Mm -hmm. that is my job and I could not put the ball away no matter what I did. And if you can't deal with that and bounce back and come back, you can't continue. And it's, it's just, it's an awesome line and I want everyone to, get that one down or put it up somewhere you can see it. It's just an important message. Yeah. And I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was, I was just going to say that, you know, on, in the same token of that, dealing with those things mentally because you haven't faced them before or because your identity is so wrapped up in being somebody who wins and somebody who mm-hmm. succeeds. And then you get the smack in the face of somebody who, you know, can't isn't winning or isn't competing the way you thought you would or whatever it is and then it's just a massive blow to the psyche and here's here's the thing when you're talking about you know you you knew that you were down there you knew you were really low it doesn't matter whether people are in sport or not people know when they're low and they're so low they may not even know how to reach out for help or what to do and i think there's a massive, massive issue out there of adults, children, teenagers, nobody ever learning any skills, any techniques, any little tools to help themselves come out of those lows because it doesn't matter who you are or what you're doing, everybody's going to get low at some point mm-hmm. or another. And, and chances are the majority of people don't have any clue as to what, say just a five-step plan as to how to get out of that low. Because what happens, they stay low for so long and they don't know what to do. So then it's go to the doctor. And then, then it's the next step is going to be a prescription. And, you know, I, I might be offending some people here, but you know, that prescription doesn't, it doesn't cure depression. It it just changes how you think. Prescription. Yeah. Bingo, it changes, it numbs or changes how you feel in that time. So it may get somebody through a patch. So like, I'm not saying don't use prescription meds or anything like that. But what I am saying is that they're not solving the problem. There's an underlying fundamental problem. And it comes down to a way someone's thinking, an identity loss, um, not being able to grieve. There could be a list of many, Mm -hmm. many, many things as to what the fundamental problem is. And then the next problem is that we as humans typically haven't been taught the tools to deal with that problem and then to help ourselves come out of that state or ask for help or work together to come out of whatever that state is. So like 
Well, it's, even, even worse, mean, it's, we've, we've been taught how to deal with it as men, at least it's grit your teeth, toughen up. Yep. Stock yep. it up, buttercup. And that's such Let's a culture. go. You know, and it's that. And it's such a culture. Yep. And so it's, I'm a man, I'm going to speak on the men's side here, but, uh, well, it's like Lewis Howe's book, Mask and Masculinity. You know, it's all about that. It's exactly that. It's being not given the tools to properly deal with it and actually given models and role models to follow or the opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah. And I can, I can be a guy in sport right now and say, for me, uh, like, I, I don't care if I'm a man. I don't care if I'm in sport and I'm masculine. I like, it's to the point where it does not matter. It's everyone thinks the same way when it comes to how they approach sport and you can't cover up the emotions. Cause if you do, that's what drives people to want to quit sport. That's what drives people to beat themselves up so much that they do things that are unspeakable. Like it's not okay to have such a difference in cultures for men and women in sport. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, to be able to, like, it, it's going to manifest in some form or another. So if, if something's not dealt with, it's it's going to make someone so stressed out that they're sick. Definitely. It's going to make someone, you know, withdraw from other people or, or whatever it is. But everybody, everybody um, struggles in different ways with how they deal or don't deal with things. Um, but ultimately if they're not able to emote, they're not able to allow the stresses or allow the feelings to surface, mm-hmm. it's going to come out in another yep. way. They're going to be, they, maybe they get a physical illness or maybe they're losing sleep or maybe they get injured or maybe they are just grumpy and angry all the time and never happy again. Like there's, there's just so many things, yeah. right? That, that that's how it presents itself. Yeah. So you know, and kudos to you for being courageous in sharing what, what your struggle has been. Like this is, this has to be one of those things that so many first semester athletes go through. Like we're talking, think of how many students, how many student athletes go away to school for the first time. They're a competitive, high demanding situation in being in sport. And then at the same time, they're living away from home, often for the first time in their lives, and and dealing with a new environment, new stressors of even how to do the day-to-day tasks like making yeah. your food. So it's just, you know, that had it had to have been a whole lot of other added extras on what you've had to yeah, deal with. Yeah, and I knew, I knew going into the whole thing that it's going to be more than just a training change. It's going to be the whole nine yards. Everything has been flipped upside down and then shaken violently. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. it's like, I I couldn't hide the fact that that's what's going to happen. So I knew I was going to like have these challenges. And um, I, uh, I definitely was like in the mindset of like, this is going to happen and prepare yourself before you get, into those mindsets with the tools that you have available to help with those situations. And I think like preparing ahead of time definitely like helped my situation because I knew exactly what was going on with myself and I knew where to go and what to do. And I think it's important for everyone to understand that when you go through a massive change, like coming from Canada and going off to the Midwest and going to a whole new life and different culture and different everything, like there will be 
the mental struggles that come with it and you have to be prepared for it because if you're not you are you know for a world of hurt so so what are Mm -hmm. can you give some tips to the listeners what what works for you uh what are some key things that you're doing obviously you talk about being prepared but beyond that once you're there for the unexpected for the for the difficulties in practice you mentioned seeing the sports psych can you share some of the tools that you've had to learn or are using now to to cope yeah like i I oftentimes go into every like training day with like the mindset of like, like today might have not have been good, but you have to be okay with the fact that you ran, you could run like crap two weeks in a row, like to every single day for two weeks in a row, but you have to sit back and see the big picture because this is an entry level phase to like a long term goal and like nothing is good right off the bat. And I think with me sitting back every morning and just thinking, Today is, I'm okay if today goes like shit because, oh, I'm sorry, can I say that? It's done. It's all right. It's <laughs> okay. <out there. laughs> I'm so sorry. You can. Don't but like, <laughs> edit. All right. Um, yeah, you have to like be okay with the fact that that day might not go the way you want it to, but it, like knowing and going into the day, knowing that I can be okay with, the, with that thought, with just knowing right from the beginning of the day it can definitely have like the effects of the, how that practice or that, that class or how some little inconvenience in a day went, like it'll, for me at least, has had smaller effects than what it did before, before I accepted the fact that things are going to go wrong and that they will affect me in many ways. But yeah, like just for me sitting back and taking every single little bad thing that's gone wrong and kind of using it as a victory, I guess, like you can't, you can't go into anything without taking your failures as victories. Yeah, that's such a, that's a fantastic lesson because it's that, it's that constant question too, even, even if it's a failure, it's never really a failure unless you didn't learn something exactly. from it. So, so it's that question of, either what did I learn or what is this, even the most horrible thing that happens, what is this here to Mm -hmm. teach me? Because even in the most catastrophic situations, what is this here to teach me? If you can draw the strength or the beauty or the whatever good that came from it, it's, it's that thing that will keep you in the positive mindset and keep you progressing and moving forward versus (coughs) falling into the valley. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's the, thinking that everything's happening for you believing yeah. that yeah that your mm-hmm. life is happening for you as opposed to against you and exactly yeah i that's just been like one of the hardest things to adjust with but like just so everyone knows like there is a brighter side like you will come out on top and it's not going to be like that forever and that's what i just kept telling myself too so I'm I'm curious about something. Just having worked with you and and known you, um, are your when you're in practice or in competition, are your times the same or faster than last year? Are they slower? Are they like what are your times? Right like? now, my training has been like I think I've been running the worst I've been running in my entire career right now. Um, just because of all the mental things that I've been dealing with, but also the whole yeah. change of trying to adjust form. Um, I have like, I'm. You've got different coaches yes. for the first yeah. time that are. Who yeah. wants to do complete They want things. different techniques. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's something. 
and I like I've known for a really long time that my form is fast but like I need to change things to be that much quicker and like being in a muscle memory for like like my career being um eight like almost 10 years long now like being you're reconstructing and breaking it down and it's a hard thing oh it's so hard physically as well as mentally because you feel like you are just garbage because you are not being able to do a simple task that you're thinking so hard about it but your body's not like following and like that's the struggle that I'm in right now so I've been running currently I've been running very poorly but I just know that like it's gonna be there's a like a light at the end of the tunnel like that's all I need to think about you know we were just at a really at a Tony Robbins seminar not long ago and they were bringing up the story about Tiger mm-hmm. Woods and how he's simply, simply so committed to um, continual improvement, so committed to continual improvement that even though he had accomplished so much, he came to a point of realizing that if he really wanted to be the best in the world at what he did, he would have to change his golf yeah. swing. And that is, you know, that's what you're describing. It's the deconstructing and and trying to do something that is going to take you back five steps in order to get forward. Exactly, because like when you're doing something for so long, the muscles in your body are formed to do that task in this specific way that you've been doing it for so long. So like, it's not just thinking about it; it's developing the new muscles and the new neuron stimulants in your body to be able to change everything yep. because. It's like learning exactly. to walk again. And like in the most honest sense, it's like learning to walk again. And I've, and I've battled my thoughts of how, like, this is, I'm not going to improve. Like, this is pointless. Like all these different things. And I've been able to sit back and think, okay, it's going to take time. This won't happen in two days. Let it, it could, it could take a year for all I care at this point. I just know that when I change it, it's so, going to be good. So it's, it's fortunate that when you were, a two-year-old and was learning mm-hmm. to walk that you couldn't overthink it otherwise you wouldn't have gotten up the 20th and 30th and 50th and 100th yep. time before you actually learned to walk and now right? i'm 18 so... and i overthink everything <laughs> <laughs> don't we all don't worry that's that's how we yep. roll um what is something what is something about you that you might want people to know about you that most people don't could be anything could be a quirky little thing, whatever it is, but what might be interesting for people to know about you that most people don't that my hurdle ability did not definitely come without a lot of hard work. Cause a lot of people oftentimes be like, Oh my God, you're so naturally good at it. And honestly, I'm not naturally good at it. And it took a lot of hard days in the gym on the track and, I think what oftentimes people don't see is like the all the hours spent outside of the public eye. And I yeah. think that's like the biggest thing I want people to know is like I didn't become this good just sitting on my butt. Like I like I worked hard. <laughs> really, really good athletes make it look so mm-hmm. fluid and so easy. And it fools other people into thinking that, oh, they just they were born like that. They just they, you know came out of the womb hurdling that hurdle or swinging that golf club or whatever it is. (laughs) And, uh, and what do you think, um, you, what would you describe as your greatest fear right now? Ooh, that's a a big one. Um, I think my biggest fear right now is 
um, falling out of love with the vision that I set back in 2008 is like getting to the point where mm. things haven't been going right for so long that I just want to quit. And I think that's the biggest thing with me right now is just terrified, absolutely terrified of the thought that I will one day just hate track and I never want to do it again. Like that's just terrifying for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially when it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a love affair in that you've been so in love yeah. with it that it's, it's a, it's a heartbreaking scenario. Yeah. And like recently, like I've, I'm currently out of training, um, well, hard training at least because of an ankle injury that's in the process of being treated. And like one of the things that I need to do to like help my ankle heal is take like time off of training. And like the biggest thing for me was I didn't want to take time off training. I wanted to keep going to practice and progressing my injury because I was so afraid that if I took the time off that I would like it too much because of how hard didn't trust, yeah, yeah. you didn't trust yourself in that break exactly uh, isn't that interesting wow. it's, like, yeah. it's like relapsing it's like I was afraid that I was gonna fall <laughs> into like a, a love of like not wanting to do track and I think that's the biggest fear right now yeah yeah that's 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 especially tough. with all the expectations what would, too it's it's and that's a big thing especially when you when you have coaches and you have parents and you have your own high expectations you feel like you have so much to mm -hmm. meet right it's just it's like you don't want to let anyone or or any anybody down i feel like i set myself up almost with like going to the ncaa and having this big spotlight on an athlete who's did like done such a big jump and i feel like now i have such an obligation to run fast if i don't then people are just gonna be like oh he's bogus like whatever like he he didn't yeah. run like he did last year and it's like I yeah it's just the yeah. expectations just really get to your head there's a saying that um uh that a writer named Rachel Hollis says and it came from a therapist that says other people's opinions of you is none of your business <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> I need to live by yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> and I think way too much. And then it, well, yeah, because you know, people want to be liked and whatnot. Yeah. And you want to be known as, as you, and not just as a hurdler. You, exactly. you want to have, you know, depth to who you are as a person, and that you're not one-dimensional. That was the trap I fell into throughout my career. Was that I became the volleyball player and had nothing else to me. So yeah, take that away, and you're in a lot of trouble. So exactly, you like you lose your identity almost. Absolutely. hundred percent. Yeah. 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 Um, what would you say is some really small thing or action that has had a really big impact on your sport or life or relationships? What's one of those little things that makes a big difference for you? Definitely being able to like have fun in practice as much as it's like business, like being able to smile and like after one of my friends runs a really good rep, like give him a fist pump, keeping like, the positive vibes that practice like jamming the music i think that's like the biggest thing for me that's like made it such a positive like impact on my life is just being able to have the fun like flowy aspect to it as well as having the business side that's like the biggest thing for me right now and that will serve you in all aspects of life for the rest of your life i promise yeah, and you i'm just trying to i'm trying to keep that thought like keeping that it's going to serve me for the rest of my life because if i lose that then I'm going to lose myself. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah. 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 Um, we're going to, we're going to start to wrap up here with a few questions that we love to ask athletes and, uh, just in order for us to get to know you a little better, but also the audience to get to know you a little better. Um, what are, what's your favorite food and, uh, and dessert maybe? Mm, favorite food. So I'm addicted to food. Let me tell you, but I think we I all are. You gotta, <laughs> yeah. You, <laughs> no, but he's like, he's, he's got his own. He's got his own little Instagram yep. and it's, what's it called? The, the grub, grub. Uh, golden so, grub. Yes. Yes. And yeah, but I think my yeah. favorite food is anything Asian. Like I'll, I'll take that pad thai any day and Oh, don't even get me started with spring rolls. Those are like, oof. I could eat so <laughs> many spring rolls. But yeah. Like anything Asian food, like Orient, like Oriental food is like where it's at right now for me. And uh, so dessert good. wise is like, you will never see me not devouring a piece of tiramisu if it's in front of me like tiramisu is oh, to die for paul likes yeah. it's uh it's the mocha yes. flavor that you like hey paul yeah. actually funny oh, yeah, story the, the yeah. coffee yeah i have a big tiramisu waiting for me downstairs in the fridge with a little surprise gift coming home <laughs> i can't believe we're not in person i know i could <laughs> Oh my gosh, this did not work it out didn't. at all the way I no. Oh well. Oh. Okay, so favorite music. If you're pumping people up and getting that kind of high vibe state for you and your teammates, what's that I like? I like EDM and rap. Like the vibes that I get, the high pumps, like the beats and everything like I get from like a good EDM song or like a rap song, like that just gets my blood flowing and my nerves bumping. Like I don't know, like I I can song like that and just like correlate it to the track that's awesome and what about uh what about favorite movie Oof, anything um but the taken movies with uh liam neeson oh so you, you've got I a particular set of skills oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love oh, those movies they're my me. favorite love it <laughs> i will that's find so you good. and i will kill you <laughs> <laughs> and what about uh favorite books Ooh, honestly i'm gonna take it back to like when i was younger in the diary diary of a wimpy kid books oh yeah oh awesome i like boys boys read those yeah, yeah like as a like as a kid and even to now like i i'm not a bookworm like i will avoid reading at all costs but you can ask my mom when i got all that i got that entire series i read that thing in like two days i spent every minute in my room and i read every word and i don't even know why they were just great. <laughs> All right. That's, you know what? The boys, the boys like those too. Xavier liked those a lot. Um, what about, uh, do you have a favorite hobby? Like we know you're a bit of a foodie. <coughs> is there something, is there something else too that you are drawn to? Yeah. I've been like really into making like, like um, adventure videos and like YouTube videos, like vlogs kind of right now. And I think that's like what, if it's not like schoolwork and track, my like attention is definitely drawn on like, filming my life and making cool videos to post on the internet for people to see to give like a look into my life a little bit that's cool Oh, that's super cool what what are you taking in school i'm currently a sports and recreational uh management major with a uh focus in professional sports management so kind of like leading into the world of um professional coaching um but also with a minor in political science nice and are you are you first year is always tough to have this answer but do you are you enjoying it is it are you 
is it the choice you thought it would be? Yes, I definitely think post-secondary education was for me and it's like where I'm supposed to be. I, I pick a lot of my classes for my major wisely for things that interest me because I know if I'm not like interested in a course or a class, like I'm not going to do well in it. And I think right now for this semester, at least, like I've really enjoyed my classes so far. I've gotten along really well with my um, teaching assistants who helped me a lot with like succeeding. And because of it, I'm going to shamelessly self-promote myself that I have a 3.7 GPA. Sweet. Attaboy. <laughs> <laughs> Attaboy. Um, That's yeah, great. It's been, it's been good so far on the academic side, which is like a big plus. Because if it wasn't going well there, I think everything would have gone wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to have it. You need to see something going <laughs> Definitely, right. Definitely. Yeah. That's awesome. And what would you, um, what would you have as maybe a tip or two for young up and comers in your, in your sport? So just something that maybe you would have told to your younger self or, or something that you think, um, would be important for them to know. I think for me, because I'm very impatient and I like things to happen like instantly. I love instant gratification. And I know a lot of people do as well. Um, just you could be you could be getting worse over th- a three-year span and not seeing improvement. But at that point, like you cannot give up because if you give up, you like you're losing more than you can gain. Like if you stay committed, no matter how bad it's going or how good it's going, you will come out on top because if you're like, if there's someone else putting the work in a, out there, you can put the, in the, the exact same amount of work and you can have the same outcomes that they're getting just as long as you devote yourself as much as you know that you can. Like, that's like the biggest thing. That's awesome. That's such a, such a great point to wrap things up on because it's what people need to hear. Sometimes they think they're working hard and they just don't understand that they need to keep going and they need to push a little more and they can, they're capable of it. So that's amazing. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're so, so grateful to have you. You are such a, um, a bright and fun and enthusiastic person (laughs) to be around. And we're, uh, we're so glad we could have you on the podcast because you sharing about the harder things I know will make a huge difference for other people. So thank you so much, Liam. Thank you so much for and, having uh, me. Yeah, no problem. And I'm, I'm really and glad. Will... Like, I hope that what I've shared can definitely help other people going through things that maybe they don't want to speak up about because like, getting the help that you need and having the resources available is like the first step to like, getting better. Uh, yeah. Yeah, And I love that you want to help others and, you know, everyone needs to have that mentality. We're yeah, all in this together. Sure. We're all in this world together and Heck let's yeah. help each other out. So on that note, how can people find you? How can they send you messages of support or check out your videos and, and reach out to you on socials? I think the thing that I'm most active on right now is Instagram. And if anyone that listens to this podcast needs any advice, definitely send me a a DM. My at is Liam Mather, L-I-A-M-M-A-T-H-E-R-R, the two R's at the end. Definitely send me your messages. I want to hear what you guys are feeling, what's going on with you, and I want to try my, like, very best to help you guys. And you can get to my videos on YouTube as well for my Instagram. It's in the bio. Right on. Liam, I want to echo Kari's thoughts of just thank you for sharing so much. Your your wisdom is beyond your 18 years, that's for sure. So thank Thank you you so much much for today. Thank you. Awesome. No, thank you. Thank you so much for listening. 
To get more support in living your best life, find us in our free Facebook community, Empowered Top Performers. We're on Instagram at Paul Durden and at Empower Conditioning. Please share this podcast and rate us. A five-star review would mean the world to us. That is how we connect with and support more people to excel in sport and life. Take what you learned today and try it. Progress is perfection.